Well, as you can see, today's a little bit different here at Wayside. Not only is our sanctuary decorated for Vacation Bible School, uh, that's what all these shirts are on the chairs. That's to separate where the various crews and uh, groups are going to be. There's over 500 kids that are already registered for VBS. Yeah, that's great. If you haven't yet registered, there's still time. You can register here at 410 and out at Stone Oak this morning and even throughout the week. So if you have friends or neighbors that you've been thinking of inviting and you haven't done that yet, you can still uh, invite them and get them registered. Now, if you're wanting to volunteer, uh, it's too late. We already have uh, 360 volunteers. We would have loved to have had you. Yeah, that's worth clapping for as well. But the volunteers have to have background checks and go through training and various things. So if you were thinking of volunteering but haven't yet signed up, uh, we're going to ask that you just pray this week. That's a very important part of supporting VBS, so all of us can pray for VBS. Well, as I said, it's a little different Sunday. I have a little different pulpit. Uh, My sermon today is called the Father's Day Toolbox, so I thought, why not use a toolbox for a pulpit this morning? And uh, one of the things that we're going to be looking at, we're going to be going all throughout the scripture today, but you can turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be moving throughout the scripture, but we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Men are often uh, told that real men don't read the instructions. And uh, guys know that that doesn't always work out very well when you don't read the instructions. So this morning I thought we would go to the owner's manual, the Bible. God has given this as an instruction manual for life. And we want to begin today in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, The letter of 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. And he was a guy that Paul counted as a spiritual son. In in chapter 1 verse 2, Paul calls Timothy, my beloved son. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, Paul says, From childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So Paul says in this book called the Bible, there is everything that we need to know about life, eternal life through Jesus Christ, as well as how a person can be equipped for life. Men and women are told to work in life, and we should. Sometimes people mistakenly think that work came about as a result of the fall. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he had already given them work to do. With the fall came a curse where you would toil and labor and battle weeds and various things like that. But God wants us to work. In 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul said, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied his faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. So we're to work hard. We're to provide for families as men. And God wants us to do these. But as we talk about working Uh, God wants us to understand that we can't work for our salvation. We can't earn it. The Bible is clear that God is the one who draws all men and women to himself. And he tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And so as we are talking this morning 
the first tool I want to start with is something called a plumb bob. Now, a plumb bob is something that is used uh, through gravity to create a standard of what is straight. If you've ever put up fences or chimneys or walls, a door jam even, uh, you would use a plumb bob. And what this tells us is, you know, so many times we try to just kind of eyeball something and say, well, that looks good enough. But if you do that with something you're erecting, it doesn't work out very well. And so God says there's a standard of what's right and wrong. And the Bible tells us God has a standard. And it's one that we've all violated because in Romans 3.23, it tells us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God has a standard that glory literally means his perfection. And so when we sin, we are out of line with what God has called us to. And because of that, we have a big problem because the penalty of sin is death. So when we sin, uh, we, we are facing a, a major problem, something that has to be corrected. Now, in my toolbox here, I have a, a hammer. It's actually a sledgehammer. It's a four-pound sledge, and uh, it's, it's very useful for correcting things that are kind of out of whack. And... Uh, as I, as, as I look at this hammer, I think about the first church I pastored. It was called Country Bible Church in Kaufman, Texas. It was a farming, ranching community 30 miles southeast of Dallas. And as the church was growing, we had the privilege of building a lot of buildings. And being out in a, a rural area with a lot of tradesmen and various things, we built a lot of the buildings ourselves. And uh, we were putting up this fellowship hall and educational classroom and and I was there helping the, the men with this. I was more one of the guys that they told what to do. We had expert tradesmen and things. But uh, we had framed out this area where we were going to put some pull-down stairs up in it. So it had to have some pretty stout framing in order to be able to hold the weight of not only the pull-down stairs, but people going up and down with stuff. And as we had this, this uh, stairwell we were lifting up into place, it went in fine in three of the four corners. But one of the corners just would not fit. And there was a guy that was kind of heading up our group. His name was Gary. He was a commercial roofer. And he said, hey, I can fix this. And so he goes out to his truck, and he comes back with a sledge. Now, it wasn't a four-pound sledge. It was, it was one of those two-handed sledgehammers that you had to use. And so Gary gets up in the rafters, and uh, he is just he's wailing on this framing. And he's hitting this stuff so hard, the entire building is shaking. And there's another guy named Richard who was overseeing the whole project. And Richard comes running into this room, and he goes, what are you guys doing? And uh, everybody's kind of pointing up into the hole. And Richard comes, and he looks up there, and Gary's standing there with this sledge. And he says, I'm tremolizing. And uh, <laughs> now, a trim carpenter is the guy who does the fine finish. You know, when you put in cabinets and they put those nice, the, the delicate final touches. You don't do trim carpentry work with a, a, a sledge, much less a 20-pound sledge like Gary had in his hand, right? So it was the first time I ever heard somebody say, I'm trimalizing uh, to fix a mistake. But a father needs a, a hammer because you know there are mistakes that your kids make. And there are times that you have to come in and you have to correct them. Now, as dads, I don't recommend you using something like that. You need something more like this. <laughs> so this is a rubber mallet. And a rubber mallet doesn't leave a mark, right? <laughs> <laughs> Two of my kids are sitting on the front row here. They, <laughs> I, 
I'm not telling you to hit your kids with a mallet, okay? But what I'm saying is we need to use wisdom and how you correct and shape your children. And as fathers, as men who are fallen people, there are times that we can lose our temper and we can think this is the way that you need to correct your kids, but it's not. Uh, God wants us to correct our children, but he gives us instruction on doing so in a gentle manner. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It tells us that we are to discipline, but there's a, a way to do it. In Galatians 6, we're told, You who are spiritual, correct one in a spirit of gentleness. Now, the world tells us love says, Do whatever you want. That if you're a loving parent, you'll let your kids do anything they want. But that's not real love. God disciplines us because he loves us. In Hebrews 12, 6, we're told, Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son who he receives. Real love is willing to step in and deal with hard things and to have the hard conversations. Proverbs 27, 6 tells us, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful the kisses of an enemy. As parents, you need to love your kids enough to discipline them. And every kid has heard the parents say, this is going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. They're thinking it's going to hurt them more. And as parents, you know it does. It hurts you to discipline your kids. But as you do so, it's because you love them. And it's important that you show that through correcting them. Another very important part of love is exactly that, showing love. If you're... Your, your wife uh, needs to see your love as well. Ephesians 5.25 tells us, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We're to love our wives. It's the most important thing you can do. There's a psychologist named Theodore Hesburgh, and he says the most important thing you can do, men, is show your children that you love your wife. Show love for their mothers. One of the reasons that's important is that it shows security in the home. Over 40% of all kids are being raised in homes without their fathers. 40%. And that number's probably gone up since that study was done. And it, it shows security when there's love in the home. My wife and I, when, when I walk up and I give my wife a hug, the kids always smile. When they, when they were little, they would kind of hug themselves. You know, they'd watch us. Now they're old enough to say, oh, that's gross. Just, <laughs> you know. But whenever we're hugging each other... Uh, somebody will yell out, group hug, and everybody in our home piles in, and everybody's just this big you know, circle of love. Now, the sisters are usually pushing their brother's head sideways and things while we're all hugging together, but it's this sense of security as, as, as they see that, and it's important for there to be security in the home. So every toolbox needs some duct tape. Now, it's been said that if women ever discover everything that duct tape can do, that men might not be needed. I don't know that that's true. Uh, but duct tape is a very important part to have in your toolbox. As you know, it binds things together. It repairs a lot of stuff. But as great as duct tape is, that's not the bond that God calls us to have in our home because duct tape, as you know, can be torn off. And when you tear it off, it does a lot of damage. It takes drywall with it. It'll rip fabric. It'll do various things. So something else that you should have in your toolbox is Gorilla Glue. Now, if you've ever used Gorilla Glue, you know you have to be very careful with it. 
because it, it, it is very strong. In fact, the bottle says the toughest glue on planet Earth. It bonds wood, stone, metal, ceramics, and more. Now, as great as Gorilla Glue is, it's still not strong enough because God gives us an even stronger bond. As you read in Matthew 19, 5 through 6, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Our wives and our kids need to know that we're committed for the long haul. It needs to be an important part of the foundation of our home. And if, if you have that, then you don't need this. You know what this is? This is a stud finder. And look at that, it works. Yeah, all right. There, there was a lady in the first service. She said, can I have your stud finder? Because mine hasn't been working. I haven't been able to find the guy. So, you know, what a stud finder is designed to do is find something that's hidden, right? You run it along a wall, and it, it will reveal to you the, the, the studs that are buried in the sheetrock. And um, you don't necessarily need one of those if you, if you follow God's design. Now, studs are designed, as I said, to stud finders to find what's hidden. And let me tell you what's hidden in the world. The world has defined what a manly man looks like, what a godly man even looks like for some people in wrong ways. But we need to go back to God's standard. And what does he say? You know, we live in a world where society and Satan, who's called the father of lies, has helped write the narrative for what many people in the world think a a man should look like. And so I have a, a little article here that was written by somebody. They summed it up well in this article. It says, what if beer ads lasted longer than 30 seconds? What if, beer ads la- what if beer ads lasted longer than 30 seconds? Let me read this. It says, why are these 30-second beer spots aired so often? Well, because they feed a fantasy of what a real man looks like and what he does for entertainment. Notice that the advertisement always features young, virile, noticeably single men in their 20s, 30s, and sometimes 40s. These macho figures live out exquisite fantasies with alluring young nymphs who appear at the moment that you pop the lid on a cold one. The chicks are there to meet every need. What you don't see are wives, children, or heaven forbid, babies in these ads. That would spoil the fun and pop the fantasy. The message is clear. The good life is free from commitments, kids, and conscience. Open another brewski, bring on the babes, and forget the the tired wives, the irritable teenagers, and the monthly bills. But what would happen if these commercials lasted longer than 30 seconds? What if it continued and you saw the rest of the story on the screen? Let's say that the macho man and the barroom babe fall in love. Their overpowering physical attraction for one another can't be denied. They decide to get married. And as the months turn to years, he sees what to him is a tragic and unforgivable thing. She starts to age. At 29, she no longer looks 20. Worse yet, she's had a baby. He's bothered that her waistline has lost its snap and her bloated legs are crisscrossed with varicose veins. Hey, wait a minute. This wasn't in the script. The macho man tells himself, life is young chicks, good buddies, and a party in the offing. It isn't measles, crabgrass, and clogged sinks. 
I deserve better. I'm God's gift to women. They need me, so I'm out of here. But the truth is, the macho man has developed his own problems. He suffers from a Budweiser tumor. You know that beer belly? (laughs) His bloodshot eyes resemble a Los Angeles freeway map, and the top of his head is starting to shine. What happened? This once virile young stud is growing older himself. To deny reality, he heads back to the bar to find another 20-something-year-old beauty who will keep the illusion alive that he's still young. Perhaps he repeats this cycle two or three more times before he realizes what a fool he has been. He's abandoned the wife of his youth to chase a beer commercial that lasted 30 seconds. Men and women don't buy into the lies of the world. They hide a lot of things from us, and they try to sell you something. But what it does is it corrupts and it covers up what is real, which is why we need something like this in a toolbox. It's a file. Now, if you've ever used a file, you know you can, you can uh, take away sharp edges on things, but an, another thing that a file is great for is if you have metal that's covered in rust and you run a file over it, it'll, it'll break away the rust. It'll take you back down to that shiny metal that's below. And we need something like this in our life. We need, we need that iron sharpening iron in our life, which is why the Bible tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Men, you need those Proverbs 27, 17 guys in your life to come alongside you and tell you what is real and what is counterfeit. To say just because society tells you this or you saw a commercial that sells you that, that's not what it's about. And you need those people in your life that are going to come alongside you and encourage and strengthen you. It's one of the reasons to be here in church. The book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10.25 not to forsake our own fellowshipping together as is the habit of some. It says, but we are to come near encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We gather together to be encouraged. The Greek word that is used there literally means to spur one another on. It's a a picture of the spurs that a, a, a person would drive into the flanks of a horse to make it to get up and go. And sometimes we need that. We need guys who love us enough to come alongside us and tell us the truth and say, hey, you're, you're, you're blowing it. You're missing out. You're not doing what you need to be doing. And it's why it's important to be in a fellowship with one another to, through the sermons that you hear, the Bible studies you're a part of, as a men in the men's ministry, women in the women's ministry, those who are in adult Bible fellowships, our Sunday school classes, through our small groups. We come to strengthen and support and encourage one another. There was, you know, this is something that we need, and it's something our families need. There was a report, uh, a study that was done by a guy named Warren Mueller, and, and he was studying what is it that has the most impact on families long-term that keep kids involved in walking with the Lord later in life. And in this, in this uh, study of his... He found that if both parents attend church regularly, 72% of their children as adults will be walking with the Lord and regular church attenders themselves. 72% if mom and dad are regular attenders themselves. Now, if it's just the mom, if it's just the mom who's a regular church attender, that number drops from 72% to 15%. 15%. 
Now, if you're a single mom and you're saying that I'm doomed, you're not. Because first of all, that's 15%. That's higher than those who don't. And second of all, uh, as we're going to talk about a little bit later, you have the support of godly men here who can be role models to help you in that. Now, what if it's just dad? What if it's only the father who attends church? That number rises to 55%. If just the father attends church, 55% of his kids will be walking with the Lord attending church as adults themselves. You see why God says that men are to be the spiritual leader in the home. It's a very important calling that he's given to us. Now, as you walk and as you influence your children, uh, there, there are other important tools, dads, that you need to have in your toolbox. Here's one. Now, this is a little princess pole. I don't have the original Barbie pole that, that my, my daughter uh, had, but fishing rods are an important part of tools that a father should have in his toolbox. As we talk about influencing our kids, let me read you something that historians found. There was a a boy who was named Brooks Adams, and his father was Charles Francis Adams. That was Abraham Lincoln's uh, ambassador to Great Britain. And one of the things that historians love so much about these uh, the Adams family is that the father kept a, a a meticulous journal. He recorded every single day of his life, and his son picked up on that same discipline. So they're able to compare the father and son's journals to see what was happening on, on days. And as they were going through the journal, they found a, an entry where Brooks' father had written, went fishing with my son, a day wasted. Went fishing with my son, a day wasted. Now, they looked at his sons on that same day, and his entry said, When fishing with my father, the most glorious day of my life. When fishing with my father, the most glorious day of my life. And as they looked at his journal down the road, they found that day referenced numerous times after the fact. Well, here's a slide of my oldest daughter, Sarah, when she was four. And you can see that we went fishing. Uh, We caught a lot of crappie on her Barbie pole that day. And I think her smile tells you what she thought about that day, right? Would you say that was a good day? Well, you can ask her. She's up here on the front row after the service. (laughs) Well, this is Sarah a few years later, and she still fishes. And she is still making memories with her father. My other kids like to fish as well. Uh, You see my son and then Hannah. She's also on the front row. She tends to catch the biggest of the fish among our kids. (laughs) But find something to do with your kids. If you're saying, Roger, I don't fish. I don't like it. Or, you know, I don't have the equipment. I don't even know how to fish. These pictures were taken on Lake Bronig. You know where that is? It's just south of San Antonio. You can hire a guide for half a day. Uh, You know, it's a little bit of money, but not exorbitant. And so you can go out there and, and spend a day fishing with your kids. Again, if you don't like fishing, pick another activity. Here's a picture of my son, Zach. And uh, obviously, he's backpacking in the woods. And uh, Zach loves to backpack. Uh, He learned some of that from his dad. Zach and I are actually going to Philmont, if you know what that is. It's the Boy Scout Ranch. We're going to do 12 days on trail, 70 miles, carrying 50-pound packs, summiting three mountains. Uh, So you can pray for my back in the weeks ahead (laughs) because I'm going to be sleeping on the ground and carrying a pack. But we're going to be making memories. And I mentioned earlier about 
those who maybe don't have a father figure in, in their life. Well, there's 15 other people going on that trek with me and my son. There are five other dads and the rest are boys. And so you can do the math and figure out that there are some unaccompanied boys who are not going to have fathers with them. And so you can be a man who is a mentor, a role model, somebody who can transfer life skills or experiences to others who maybe don't have a a father present. And again, that's one of the advantages of being here in a church like Wayside. If you go through our student ministry, we have men that are discipling Uh, those boys that are in there, those young men. There are college students, single men and women who are mentors for for these individuals. And it's not just the men. Let me tell you, we have single fathers here at Wayside. We have men who do not have uh, godly women in the lives of their kids. And again, this is something that you get to do as you come alongside ladies and help shape and model. What does a godly woman look like for these these kids? Uh, Grandparents. You get to be uh, a role model as well. One of the advantages of being in a church like Wayside that is multi-generational is we have the advantage of senior saints who can be surrogate grandparents, military families that are deployed far from family, others who have moved away. My mom and dad are home with the Lord. My uh, wife's parents are in their late 80s and in assisted living up in the Dallas area. So my kids have benefited from having surrogate grandparents here at Wayside, older godly people who can be that influence in their lives. So there's a way that you can come alongside and and have an impact in others. Now, as we're talking about making an impact in the lives of others, uh, every Father's Day toolbox needs one of these. Now, if you can read this piggy bank, it says college fund on it. And uh, unfortunately, that's not going to make it, as you know. So this isn't up here to illustrate how expensive kids are. Uh, Rather, it's here to remind us of the need to be making investments in the lives of our kids. And it's not just big deposits that count. It's the small day-to-day pennies, nickels, quarters, dimes at a time of investing in your kids' lives. And as you think about what that means, the best way to spell love is T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E, time spells love. And as I said, it's these daily little investments. One of the most important deposits you can make is found in Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. There it says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you when you lie down and when you rise up. If he were writing this today, he'd say, when you're in carpool, when you're you know, sitting in the bleachers with your kids, it's this idea of every day seizing those teachable moments. It's not just when you say, okay, family devotion, let's all gather and sit in a circle and read the Bible. It's an opportunity to find day-to-day lessons as you go through life and invest in the kids. There was a, a father one day who was out with his son fishing. And the, the little boy, as he was sitting there with his dad on the boat, said, Dad, how does a boat float? His father said, Son, I'm, I'm not really sure. A little while later, the, the boy said, Dad, how, how do fish breathe underwater? He thought for a little bit. He said, Son, I don't rightly know. And he said, Dad, why, why is the sky so blue? He said, son, I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up and get back to you. 
And after a little while, the boy was worried maybe he was annoying his father. So he said, Dad, do you mind me asking all of these questions? And he said, well, of course not, son. How else are you going to learn anything? Right? (laughs) Now, I share that because some of you may be sitting here this morning saying, Roger, I'd love to teach my kids the Bible, but I don't know the Bible. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe they're going to ask me a question I don't know, and that's okay. Because what you tell your children is, I don't know that answer, but I'm going to find it for you. And that's, again, an advantage of being here in a church like Wayside, where you can come to others and you can say, hey, my son or daughter asked this question. My grandchild asked this question. Do you have any resources? Can you point me to a place I can find it? It's why as you sit and listen to God's word taught, You're learning, and you're learning how to to reproduce yourself. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul told Timothy, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Last Sunday, we talked about Caleb. Remember that, the courage of Caleb? And I mentioned Joshua, his counterpart. Joshua was the Old Testament general. And Joshua, as he was looking uh, at, at the, the nation and teaching them, he said in Joshua twenty four fifteen, Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Many of you made that commitment. Have you said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? Do your kids know that stake is in the ground? Do they know that that's where you stand? Now, as you're teaching your families, you're going to need something like this. So this is a level. And it's like a plumb line, right? A level tells you when something is straight. You see these these bubbles and lines, and you line it up, and when it's where it needs to be, uh, this, is, this is something that every toolbox needs to have. Now, as we talked about earlier, uh, you, you may need different sizes. You know, we talked about having different size hammers. Well, you may need a different size level as well. Now, the thing about both of these levels is they have the exact same standard. Right is always right. But what you have to understand is sometimes something like this is too big for a younger child. It may not be appropriate for their age and stage of life or their development, and so you may need a, a smaller level to have. But again, there is, a, there is a standard that you need to teach. Now, in, in terms of what's appropriate in age and life, um, don't take any offense, parents. This is a dog leash, okay? So I'm not saying your kids are dogs, but I want to use this for an illustration If you've ever used one of these type of leashes, you know what happens is you can let out uh, uh, some leash or you can lock it down and say you can't go any farther. And the other thing you can do is sometimes take the leash back in, right? And so what happens is you're training and growing and developing your kids is when they're young, they don't need a long leash because they're not mature enough. They're not ready for, for all the freedoms that they might get when they're older. Now, as they get older, you need to give more and more leash. Some parents are afraid to do that. They want to keep their kids under, under you know, wraps the entire life. But what happens is they eventually grow, and you want to launch them. That's, that's the hope, right? You send them out. And if you've never given your kids any freedom, 
And they've been like this their whole life, and suddenly they go away to college, uh, the military, the work world, and they've never had any freedom. They don't know how to handle it, and they can go off the rails. And so it's important that, that you have different standards and levels, and you may give more freedom at times and realize they were not mature enough, they can't handle this, and you have to take some of it back. But as I said, there are times that as you send them out, they come back. And so here's a boomerang. You know, I mentioned one of my daughters is in college. So we sent her out, and she came back for the summer. And as she came back, you know what? She had had a lot of freedom. She had been setting her own sleep schedule and meals and activities and on and on. And as she came back into the home, she had to readjust to the schedules of everybody else. And so, again, as parents, you need to use wisdom in terms of of how much freedom or or what you do with your kids as you're, you're helping to grow them. Now, because you're going to make mistakes along the line, you need some of these in your toolbox. You know what these are? These are shop towels. And they're, they're used for cleaning up messes. And you see, I got a lot of them because raising kids can be messy. Not only are they going to make a bunch of mistakes, but so are we as parents. And there are times you have to go to your kids and you have to say, look, I'm sorry. I was too hard on you. I brought a 10-pound sledge when I should have brought a, you know, little tack hammer. And you deserved the discipline you got, but I did it when I was angry. And so I was wrong. Or I was too hard on you. I, I, I spoke too harshly. I said too much. I had to do that with my kids on, you know, more than one occasion. I had to get down knee level, look them in the eye and say, look, I love you and I'm sorry. Do you forgive daddy? And you as parents need to be willing to do that when you make mistakes. You know, God has given us these when we make mistakes with him. As you read 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you have to be willing to show forgiveness, to allow restoration to the relationship. Now, there needs to be repentance that goes with it. You just don't give it. They need to recognize the wrong that they've done. That word repent means to stop, to turn around and go in the other direction. It's where they recognize I'm on the wrong path, I did something wrong, and they say I want to stop. And that change of mind leads to a change of action. And when they come back, parents, you need to be willing to show forgiveness. Now, again, you may not give back all the freedom they had before. You may say, okay, we're going to start here. But you've got to be willing to allow there to be Uh, restoration in the relationship. To that end, as we close today, I want to end with a a story of forgiveness that one father showed to his daughter. Uh, This happened with a a young woman in Mexico as she was growing up. Uh, She was living in her home. They were in a small village, and this daughter became um, rebellious. And as the parents tried to correct and and, and help her live within boundaries, the, the young lady eventually said, I'm running away from home. And so she ran away from this small village to a nearby large city. And the father was distraught. His, his daughter had run away, and he figured she was in the big city, so he went there looking for her. Now, this young woman uh, was on her own, and she ran out of money, and she had to find a way to uh, take care of her her basic needs, and so, unfortunately, she turned to prostitution. And as she was living in this this uh, lifestyle of sin and, and destruction and, and getting more and more worn down and beaten up, 
she was thinking about home, but she felt she couldn't return home. Now, what she didn't know is her father had followed her to the city, and he was there searching for her. And eventually his money was running out, and he had to return home as well. And so before he left, he took what money he had, he went to a a photo shop, and he made copies of a picture of his daughter that he had before she had run away from home. And on the back of the picture, he had taken a, a marker, and he had written, I love you, I forgive you, please come home, your father. And he went all throughout the city, and he put these everywhere he could think of, Flop houses, back alleys, stairwells and dilapidated places that he thought his daughter might be. And then he went home sadly, praying that she would find a picture, praying that she might repent and return home someday. And one day this young woman was coming down the back stairwell in one of these type of places, and she saw a picture hanging on the wall in the stairwell, and she thought her eyes were playing tricks because she said, I recognize that person. And, and as she got closer and she looked at it, she said, this is me. And, and she pulled it off the wall and, and she was sad because this was, this was her, you know, as a, as a, you know, vibrant young lady. And she thought about the condition she was in at this moment. And as she was looking at this picture and tears were welling up in her eyes, she kind of noticed there might be something on the back and she flips it over. And she sees the note from her father. I love you. I forgive you. Please come home, your father. And she eventually did. She returns home to her father. Now, I share that closing story this morning because there might be somebody here this morning that needs to hear from God, our heavenly father. I love you. I forgive you. I want you to come home. Signed, your heavenly daddy. Maybe you're here this morning and and you're longing for a father to reach out and love you and forgive you. I know that Father's Day is a hard day. It's a hard day on the men because most men will beat themselves up. They'll say, you know, I haven't been the dad I wanted to be. We think and we replay the failures in our life over and over, and we think of ways we could have done better, that we could have spent more time with our families, the ways we could have done something differently. It's also a hard day because I know not everybody here has had a good father. You've heard me share my story in the past. I grew up in an abusive home, a wife and child abusing father. I was kicked out of the house at the age of 16 because I was winning the physical fights with my dad. I did not have a good earthly father. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, Father's Day is a painful day, and this sermon was great, but it's not been my experience. I want to remind you, that God is our standard. God is our perfect heavenly father. And if you're a man who's fallen short, turn to God and ask his forgiveness. Ask him to help you to restore or rebuild or or start new today. If you're somebody who's still carrying anger with your father from the past, turn to God and give it to him. Let him carry the anger for you. He'll take and he'll nail it to the cross and you can leave here this morning without caring that, that hatred and anger out of here. And it may be somebody's here this morning saying, I want to come home to God. I want to come to the Father. But God would never love somebody like me. I want you to look at the cross again. Because there God had a hammer in his toolbox. And he took our sins and he nailed them to the cross. He had spikes that were driven through his hands and his feet. 
He gave his life as the payment for the penalty of sin that we owe. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 tells us. And if you think God can't love you because you've made such a mess of your life, read Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's arms are open wide this morning on the cross, not because the nails are holding him there. It's his love that has his arms open wide. And if you're here this morning and you've never come to God, you've never asked for his forgiveness, I want to invite you to do so now. You don't have to walk the aisles. You don't have to raise your hand. But what you do have to do is just acknowledge to God you're a sinner. You violated his standard. You recognize you have not lived a perfect life, and because of that, you owe a penalty of death. And God says, if you will turn to me, I will welcome you into the family. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So if you'd like to do that, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads now and pray this prayer with me. It's just your way of telling God that you're accepting his gift of new life and you're coming home. If that's what you'd like to do, then say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. And as a sinner, I recognize I owe a penalty of death. I realize that I can't earn my way to heaven by being good. But I thank you for your grace. Your grace that gave your son Jesus who came and willingly died on the cross, giving his life as the payment for my sins. Today I receive your gift of new and eternal life. Today I accept you, Jesus, as my personal Savior. Thank you for your gift of eternal life. Thank you for making me a part of your family. It's in your precious name that I pray and thank you. Amen.